Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Tom Korski is the executive editor of Black Locks Reporter at Minding Ottawa on Twitter. We always enjoy the opportunity to speak with Tom. Uh, Tom, we just did a... Um, had a call on on this uh, this country of ours on the the unhappiness index. That's not what it's called. It was just I, I just can't remember exactly what what the what the term was. But uh, we I asked whether we would be better off or whether this country is leading it's heading towards some sort of fragmentation. Some people said it may happen uh, if things don't change. I think that was sort of the pre- prevailing view. But now then I think what's going on in Ottawa at the commission investigating whether the Emergencies Act invoking was appropriate, what that's going to do to any sense of of national unity or disunity. And uh, I I see that, I mean, you're writing about it on Black Locks Reporter. I don't want to take all the time here. But I looked at one, one post that you had. Feds were so frightened of Freedom Convoy, the House of Commons Speaker slept under armed guard at his Ottawa home. So what do we do with that? They were uh, freaking out, Roy. They were petrified. I, no one knows why. Exactly right to the uh, Speaker of the Commons, Tony Rota, had assigned himself, assigned armed guards to stand outside his Ottawa residence while he slept. I, I don't know what he was afraid of. Uh, Roy, my, my uh, uh, little desk in the National Press Building was right on Wellington Street. I walked through the Freedom Convoy after dark twice a day, never saw the seething Nazi insurrection that the feds talked about. Fifty, five, zero, fifty Mounties were assigned to security at the Prime Minister's cottage. Fifty to Rideau Hall. It's like they were anticipating a shootout. It was that bizarre. But there was this mood of hysteria at the time, and the further we get away from it, the more berserk it seems. But no wonder they, they had this uh, really, we could say fairly, gross overreaction to what was a peaceful protest when you're sleeping under armed guard. It's, that's, that's where they were. Yeah, you posted uh, on Blacklock's Reporter at Mining Ottawa on the 19th of October, at Marco Mendicino says, Freedom Convoy made Ottawa virtually ungovernable, quote-unquote, a claim contradicted by internal At Safety Canada memos since most employees work remotely, disruption to government. I'm sorry, I don't want to laugh, but disruption to government is minor. I'm not, I'm not laughing at it. It's just when I, when, I, when I put those two together, there's not even, there's not even a, a remote chance of a fit. No, but, but we can put the cards on the table now, Roy. You're left with an overarching impression that these were weak men overcompensating by attempting to do what they believe strong men would do. When Mendicino says, after the fact, as you mentioned last week, that they, these protesters have made Ottawa ungovernable, virtually ungovernable, chaos, that's anarchy, it can only mean he didn't read the memos in his own department, because his own department said, yeah, it's not, no, it's, it's no big deal. Minor disruption, as you exactly you accurately quote, Roy. Most employees are working from home anyway. They could care less. You can camp out on Wellington Street. That is not critical infrastructure. You can sit there for months. 
zero impact on government operations. That's just the fact. That's what the government said. Where do you think... Where do you think this is going? Where will this commission uh, wind up? Because their only mandate is to determine whether or not the uh, the liberals, the, whether the government, had reason for invoking the emergency act. It's not exactly what they're supposed to be asking, but where do you think it's going? What 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 are we going to find when Mr. Trudeau uh, appears and 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 testifies? Well, I think it's bad. I think it's bad because cabinet has to some at some point come up with the extraordinary evidence that justifies their extraordinary action declaring the emergency act declaring a national emergency a public disorder not just out 20 feet outside the prime minister's office nationwide roy mount pearl peterborough red deer national disorder that's what the order said they're not even close i i have a couple of takeaways and and, and neither of them are very pretty we can't anticipate maybe cabinet has some extraordinary evidence and they're keeping it a secret for dramatic effect i guess we'll find out but the question before the judge is did cabinet break a law and then lie about it and then the question is will if that's the case will he express condemnation for that in such withering terms that no future cabinet will ever touch that again don't touch that act hot because otherwise, if you normalize this, yes. guess what a future cabinet will do every time the indigenous protesters want to shut down Via Rail's line or there's a strike at the mill. Oh, oh, economic damage. Let's freeze the accounts. It's dreadful. And we do have to remember that at the time the Emergencies Act was invoked, the issue at Coots, Alberta, on the border was over. The Ambassador Bridge blockade was over. There was no reason for this national emergency, which the Emergencies Act actually compromised, as we all know, the civil rights of each and every Canadian. That is the, and I keep saying this, and people must be sick of my saying it, but it's the parliamentary nuclear option. You don't reach for that button unless there's no other resource. And there's an anecdote that, that underscores exactly what you said, Roy. The mayor's office on the February 14th morning of the invocation of the Emergencies Act, note, they did not have a heads up the act was coming the mayor's office in ottawa sent a guy out to take pictures of the protest streets why did he do that because they just cut a deal with the truck drivers to remove the freight liners and the pickups from residential streets and the condo buildings but so the chief of staff testified we couldn't get a clear picture so we sent out a, a guy from the office with a camera you take lots of well guess what those photos have been submitted in evidence at the public order emergency commission it's like a christmas card it's completely <laughs> barren streets with the soft snow falling you could not imagine a less tense filled image than the photos of these streets at the exact moment the exact moment, Roy, the Prime Minister was telling the premiers on a teleconference, there is public disorder, it is mayhem on the streets of Ottawa, we have to go with that atomic option. Mm-hmm. That's, those are the facts. I wonder sometimes, and I talked about this yesterday, whether Mr. Trudeau is going to try to find or will find a way to uh, not appear, whether this is going to take a turn that we cannot even imagine, yet, and I keep thinking about uh, the uh, Admiral Mark Norman case, where they went after him with no reason whatsoever. 
The Admiral had simply done what he was supposed to do, and that is convert a freighter or a cargo ship to um, a Navy supply ship so that we actually would have a deep water Navy, an ocean Navy, because without a supply ship, all you have is a coastal defense force. So he brought that ship, that contract in on time and under budget, but he made the prime minister unhappy because they wanted the contract to go to a different shipbuilder. So they went after the admiral. And Mr. Trudeau twice publicly mused about Admiral Mark Norman, who spent more than 30 years in the service of this country and was the second highest ranked military officer. He mused publicly about the, uh, the, the, the Mr. Admiral Norman's time in court. And then they took care of themselves because, as you well remember, Tom, when, uh, when it was brought up that Mr. Trudeau may have to testify and others in his government may have to testify, they got themselves legal um, representation paid for by the taxpayer. But Admiral Norman, who was still an admiral, still in the service of this country, they did not agree that his legal expenses should be paid for by the taxpayer. And they were considerable and could, I think, ruin him financially. And then what did they do when, they, when the prosecutor saw the, the case they had and said, I can't take this to a judge? I, I, I can't take this forward. No mas. Roberto Duran lives again. No mas. And away they went. And what did they do when Admiral Norman said, well, I want to share some information with Canadians. They reached a settlement with the Admiral, and I don't blame him for taking it. And what did they do? They add, added an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement to the settlement. So we know nothing, and Mr. Trudeau doesn't have to speak. I'm just some little wheel in the back of my brain is spinning, wondering whether we're going to have a, a no mas moment. This is about power and ethics. There's no question, Roy, and it's about whether the truth matters. Let's just be candid. This is what this is about: whether cabinet told the truth when they said this was a national emergency. They had to take extraordinary measures against those political protesters. You're getting down to brass tacks now. Every time we say, you know, we, we're kind of hitting the bottom of the barrel, it turns out to be a false bottom. There's a new bottom of the barrel. But this one's bad. Yes, it is. So um, MPs at Health Committee tell Dr. Tam Canadians don't trust her and won't take GovCan health advice on faith. We're never doing this again. We don't trust you. What's the story? It was quite an arresting moment, uh, those words spoken by uh, Conservative MP Randy Hoback from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. This is important, Roy. This was not a success story. Uh, but humility and accountability are not the hallmarks of official life in Ottawa. Let's just, <laughs> I think we could say that. Uh, this is Mr. Hoback telling the chief public health officer for the country that you gave bad advice. There was contradictory advice. I'm telling you said Hoback, if, if you are unaware that this is where my constituents, this is where the people are. And I think Hoback has a point. These people at the public health agency couldn't run a mass square house. They were fully funded, three quarters of a billion dollars a year. They were unprepared. This was the fire department for pandemics, Roy. That's why we set up the public health agency in the first place after SARS. They didn't get it done. More frustratingly, since humility and accountability is a, they come to Ottawa to die, you will now have officials talk about how, how many lives they saved, not how many lives they cost. You will never hear them say, did you know Canada had a higher death rate from COVID than Finland, Norway? 
Australia, South Korea, the Philippines. The Philippines is not a G7 country. What do the feds do? They compare themselves to Mississippi. They compare ourselves to the worst of the worst and say, what a good boy am I? That's really hard to take. I think the, the reaction we saw with readers to that story spoke to the level of public cynicism and almost anger. Why is what is the tragedy in saying you know what that was not our best work so and so has been fired it wasn't good enough yeah well uh, we had protocols in place that were supposed to be um, started and and kept going and, and run for the, exactly this kind of situation after SARS we had everything in place and uh, when when the when the quote, emergency, end quote, hit, they abandoned all of that and they decided they'd, they'd start a new way of doing things and we are where we are. So, yeah, I was asking earlier about whether people have faith in uh, in in continuing to take their their boosters. I've had three in. I had talked to Dr. Isaac Bogosh earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about whether I'm going to go for number four, Tom. And, I, and Dr. Bogosh has said, you know, the messaging wasn't the best. And I think that's one of the problems. The, the messaging has just not been what it ought to be. And, uh, and so we ask ourselves many questions. And for me, just speaking personally, the answers that I got from the federal government, from Public Health Canada, have not satisfied me. And so that's where I am now. Now, on to something else. What's going on with profitability at um, the, as Mr. Trudeau calls it, irregular border crossing. There's no such real term, by the way. He made that up. It's illegal entry into Canada. He decided it's irregular, and now everybody repeats that. So what's going on? Who's making money at Roxham Road? It's funny. Uh, that is the number one hotspot for illegal immigration. By the way, I, I know this for some reason has been politicized. It was a former immigration minister, Ahmed Hassan, note the name, who testified in committee four years ago. He said, I don't have a problem with illegal immigration. Let's, let, let's not make it pretty. Let's just call it what it is. I don't have a problem with that. What happened was the Fed spent an enormous amount of money, over $100 million at Roxham Road, really building a welcome center for illegal immigrants. By, I guess, a happy coincidence, a lot of these contracts, millions worth for leases and sublets and uh, sole source contracts, went to a liberal donor uh, whose family had donated over 40000 to the Liberal Party. And you'll never guess what. If, if you build it, then they'll come. So can you guess the spot in Canada that gets 99.5% of illegal immigration in Canada? That's Roxham Road. I know exactly where it is. Absolutely. And, and MPs had a lot of questions. It's, it's as, as one MP, Pierre Paul Hosts from uh, Quebec, said, uh, this guy won the lottery. He's the happiest man. In, in Roxham Road is the contractor who, who, who got these millions with a phone call. As he testified, hey, the feds came to me. I didn't have to talk to any of you. They called me. It worked out happily. Yeah, that's something. Okay, now one more. And uh, I can't let you go without uh, a little bit of a, a word or two about Arrive Can and some $54 million. Share the story, please. No one can figure out why. How do you spend $54 million? We know that there was, we saw this in testimony in committee, the brokers who, who cooked this deal. Once again, they didn't even have to pick up a phone, right? They got the call. This is, a, this is an IT consulting firm. Two employees at $9 million in consulting fees. So that worked out pretty well. 
Roy, it's, <laughs> there's so many questions about ArriveCat. Who got the contracts? Why? Who thought it was a good idea? Customs Immigration Union says it was terrible. For land border crossers, it was absolutely dreadful. Did not speed things up, made it worse. But we see this as a trend over the, over the last two and a half unhappy years. The pandemic was the worst thing that ever happened to some people. But you know what, Roy? It was the best thing that happened to others. <laughs> I, I just want to say, that it wasn't a rife can, but uh, my friend and I went to uh, New York last uh, July or August to see uh, Bruce Springsteen on Broadway. So we did everything we had to do. We got all the paperwork. We got all our, rolled up our sleeves and got needled. And we did everything. Everything you're supposed to do. So we get to Pearson Airport. We get through the airport. We get through customs. We go to the American customs. We go through the airline. We are every, we've gone through the whole process. We're in a taxi in New York City on the way to the hotel in Manhattan. We're saying, nobody checked the thing. <laughs> and that's a true story. It's only money, right? It's only money, Tom. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 